went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Gary fell down, <laughs> broke his crown, and took him tumbling after. <laughs> Welcome to Gag Me with the Chainsaw, a horror podcast about 80s slashers. I'm Corey. And I'm Sarah. And we love scary movies. We do love scary movies. And you know what else I love? What? Pinching people. <gasps> oh my gosh, it's almost St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> don't, well, don't say it too loud. I don't want Jason to hear. <laughs> I rely every year on him not knowing what day it is and getting up early enough so he doesn't have time to put on his lucky greens, his green underwear, <laughs> so I can pinch him. <laughs> I feel like greens, ooh, green, baby, green's a color he wears often. Yeah, but if you catch him in bed, still he's not wearing green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where do you pinch him? Wherever I can. <laughs> I am walking around all day long with my little pinchers ready, ready to go. Let's do it. I pinch Gomez on his little nalgas. Just pinch those little yeeks. Pinching, pinching everybody, don't come near me. And I like to wear green um, in a place where that is very inconspicuous. So Jason will turn around and go, well, you're not wearing green either. And then I'm like, ah, 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 yes, I am. And like, I don't know, my chipped nail polish is green or some shit. Like, <laughs> I like to be tricky. Do you like yeah. St. Patrick's Day? I do. I don't know why. Are you I like I- a- you're not Irish, right? I I am a little bit. Are you? Yeah, but I didn't know that like when I was younger until I did my, my ancestry.com. Oh, you didn't grow up clogging? <laughs> no. Oh. But it's fun. I I like most holidays, I feel like, and I like to cook, like I'll make my Irish soda bread and then Yum. a couple other dishes, some cabbage. Yeah. Yeah. Drink some you whiskey. Said you would make soda bread for me. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I won't pinch you. I won't pinch you. Okay. Um. So our movie this week is Leprechaun. Not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not eighties. <laughs> oh. Right. Thought we were just gonna go off book and be silly. <laughs> our movie has. How can we connect it to St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> Um, I Far- don't know. Farmers? That seems Irish. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure some farmers have been Irish. Yeah, they have those. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, sold. Oh, well, the main character, she does wear those buckles on her shoes mm. and that little hat and that green coat. So... <laughs> I don't remember that scene. <laughs> Maybe I imagined it. (laughs) What is our movie this week, Corey? It is Blood Harvest from 1987. That sounds really scary. Mm -hmm. You would think. Um, A bumper crop of blood this year. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Who picked this movie? You. I did. (laughs) You picked it. Why? Uh, I picked this movie because it stars Tiny Tim. Yes. Yeah, boy. I, my boy. I really liked Tiny Tim when I was a kid. Like, I didn't think he was normal or anything, um, but I didn't think he was scary. Mm-hmm. And he just really brought me joy. I just, I sincerely liked those, like, novelty celebrities from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. When I was a little kid. I was like, give me Charo. I want the Gabor sisters. I love Tiny Tim. I, I don't know. I was into it. My aunt... <laughs> She told me one time, ever since you were really little, you were just really into, like, counterculture stuff. And your parents <laughs> didn't like it, but I was like, that's just the way she is. You're not going to be able to stop her. <laughs> like, it's true. It's true. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. I knew who he was, and I knew, like, tiptoe through the tulips. Mm-hmm. But not, I wasn't that familiar. Sure. I don't think that most people are at this point. Yeah. 
Um, we'll kind of get into it more a little bit later, but I did pick this movie because the cover art was like Tiny Tim, crazy clown face. And I said, yeah, that checks a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, I had never even heard of this movie, so. Totally. I was busy in 1987. <laughs> I was starting doing? kindergarten. Oh. Yeah. So I had a lot on my plate. Mm-hmm. Bothering my teacher every single day. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so, this movie was directed by Bill Rabane. He also directed Monster at Gogo. Um, but nothing really else, uh, nothing else that's really like, oh, yeah, sure, I've heard that of that one or I know that one. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Like, I think it's known for being like a bad movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also known for having a completely awesome title. Yeah. <laughs> Monster a go go. Uh, you know that Rob Zombie loves the words monster a go go, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's like his whole ethos boiled down. <laughs> <laughs> so, the director, uh, Bill, he had the idea for this movie. And when Tiny Tim came to town to make an appearance at a local carnival, he went and asked if he was interested in appearing in it. And he was. That makes sense because mm-hmm. it seems like they already had a script and they just added him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody in this movie really did much else except for Tiny Tim as Marvelous Mervo mm-hmm. and Peter Krause, who I was shocked to see him in this movie. Uh, he's Scott, our main character's boyfriend. I was going to say, yeah. And we know Peter Krause. Everybody knows him. Even if you don't know him, like, by his name, you would look at his picture and go, oh, yeah, that guy. He was Nate Fisher in Six Feet Under. He was Casey McCall in Sports Night. He was Adam Braverman in the Parenthood TV series. He was in Truman Show. He's been in tons of stuff. He's very recognizable. Uh, This was his first acting credit. Hmm. And he refused to take his jeans off for the sex scene. Good for him. (laughs) Don't let them exploit you. (laughs) Yeah, except for that he made that sex scene really confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Everybody else that was in it, I mean, a couple of the people haven't done any, literally anything else. And you just kind of wonder, like, I don't wonder. I I wonder, wonder, like, (laughs) how did this all happen? But I think that the guy that made it, it was, he was just a local filmmaker. Yeah. You know, so probably all just local local people yeah. and uh, Tiny Tim. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, what were your expectations going into this movie? Um, I don't know. I didn't expect much, I don't think. Sure. <laughs> That's, like, a fair... You have to... When you do a podcast like this, under the topic that we're doing, mm-hmm. you have to go into most things not expecting much. Yeah, and we had kind of <laughs> talked about we need to do, like, a bad movie because otherwise they're all going to be left for the end. <laughs> yeah, we had so, to spread it out. Yeah. And after Elves, we were like, we need a mental health break <laughs> and we need to do some things that aren't so, so terrible. Yeah. But we've recovered and we're ready to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. We're ready. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to get to it, Corey? Should we just get to it? I think so. Okay. I got. I have a lot to say. All right. This is the story of Blood Harvest. So, first off, boy, this movie comes in hot with a close-up on Tiny Tim in full greasy clown makeup. And he's singing in falsetto. <laughs> and then we get a series of quick scenes. Bodies being loaded into an ambulance on a rainy night, an auctioneer opening the bidding on a foreclosed farm, over angry cries of protest from other farmers, and a very distraught Tiny Tim. Uh, A man in a tie and glasses, nerd alert, being being strung upside down while an unseen assailant cuts his throat from out of camera. Blood spurs from the man's neck, and while his body convulses, we get our title. Blood Harvest, in orange, all caps. How was this title font for you? 
the font itself was just very plain, but you know, you got the the convulsing body in the background, so yeah, it, it worked. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> dynamic. Like right off the bat, I was very pleased. Some loony tiny Tim shit was exactly what I was hoping for, and at this point, things are looking good. Okay. So meet Jill. She is our main character and maybe a sentient high side ponytail. <laughs> it's too early to tell. She's walking home having just arrived in town from college. We hear her side of a phone call with her mother where they discuss how sad it is for her dad that he has to take all the farms away from his friends and neighbors on behalf of the bank. And now nobody likes him anymore. <laughs> Guillotine for Jill and her dad right now, right away. (laughs) They're ruining this town. (laughs) They're taking everyone's farm. Yeah, and they're like, boo-hoo, feel bad for us. She walks through her little rural town, stopping in at the bank where her dad works to see him, but instead she has a conversation with a completely faceless woman. This was so weird, right? Uh, Immediately, I was like, are they going to show this woman's face? I know. It really made give you a feeling of like, what's wrong with her? I was like, is she going to turn around and be, <laughs> and be a monster? Or is she going to turn around and be Tiny Tim? It was shot entirely over her shoulder facing our main character. um, And just not blocked well, I guess, because it was too obvious. I felt like they did not have an actress for this. And so they asked uh-huh. a random person and she said, sure, but you can't show my face. <laughs> I felt like we also don't have a person to play Jill's mom and that it's the same person. <laughs> because, like, we we see her, like, later, yeah. you know, and but never really see her face. And I think that it's the same person. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> it was so weird. Like, she even, after Jill leaves, she asks, you know, if her dad is there. And the lady tells her no. And she's like, well, do you know where she might be? And she's like, I don't know. Maybe go check over at this place. He might be in a meeting. She's like, okay, thanks, bye. And so then Jill leaves, and we even stay in the bank with this woman and her coworker, <laughs> and she turns to talk to her coworker, and we still don't see her face. <laughs> then she's shot from behind in another angle. It's really strange. Yeah. Takes you out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after that, she stops in to chat with her friend Sarah, who works behind the counter at a little diner. Yeah, they, they're they having a conversation about Jill's fiancé. I thought it was funny because she said he has muscles in all the right places. Sure. What, are the, what are the wrong places? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't know, like, maybe she means, like, he doesn't skip leg day. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. We'll never know because he wouldn't take his jeans off. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, you got to leave the people wanting more. (laughs) (laughs) So they're having this conversation, and Jill is not wanted in this diner, and the other patrons make that very clear, like spitting on the floor next to her, (laughs) being so gross. She doesn't understand why the bad vibes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Sarah tells her, "Uh, duh, your family isn't exactly moving into the mayor's mansion right now. Everybody hates all of your guts. Jill says, my father is just doing his job, Sarah. Uh, Historically, not a great line of defense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Jill finally arrives at her family home to find that her parents have taken a bold approach to exterior decorating. Mm. Uh, there's words painted all over the exterior. Bastard, scum, thief, get out. In dripping red paint. <laughs> Ooh, that's edgy. <laughs> Jill starts running up the long driveway. It's like a really long scene. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we see that she has nice boobs. She has big, nice boobs. She starts yeah. running and we're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. She bursts through the front door and a dummy comes out with a, he's like burned or painted yeah. strangely. And he has an arrow through his chest. Yeah, he's and, like hanging from the ceiling inside the front door. Mm-hmm. So she recovers from this. And then in the kitchen, she's surprised to find a greasy clown gripping a bundle of wildflowers. <laughs> she doesn't know who he is at first. And he says, uh, I bought some flowers, Jill. <laughs> I picked these especially for you. 
And then she realizes, oh, it's Merv. (laughs) (laughs) Merv is the brother of her, like, old good friend, Gary, who I guess lives very close, right? Yeah. They're always popping in on. Yeah. It's very annoying. Uh, he sings her little welcome back song, uh, if I may. Oh, please. <laughs> he says, we're really glad to see you. We're really glad you're here. Because you see, to Gary and me, you really are a dear to all. So that at this point, Gary's there. <laughs> and he tells Jill, uh, Merv's clown shit has really gotten out of control. <laughs> He barely even takes his makeup off anymore. <laughs> so Greg collects Marvelous Mervo, as he calls himself, and takes him home. And was it, is it his older brother? Has to be, right? Girl. Uh, <laughs> Tiny Tim looks about 30 years older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> than the dude that's supposed to be his brother. <laughs> yeah, and he's definitely his older brother. <laughs> But he's always taking care of him, yeah. Yeah. After they leave, Jill gets a rude phone call and a brick through the window. Rough afternoon. Yeah. She runs out of the house to find help, and we see Mervo grinning and watching from behind the barn door. So for whatever reason, Jill heads straight into a heavily wooded area. She says later <laughs> that she was walking into town. What? She was taking a shortcut, I yeah. guess. What, all downhill, falling? Like- yeah. So bad news this wooded area is full of men in camo and masks wielding guns and crashing through the trees jill tries to run for them but she's shot right in the forehead and falls to the ground shocking (laughs) the men crowd around her and uh it's just paintball switcheroo was that when paintball came out like i was surprised to see paint paintball mansion so like yeah this is paintball but i guess so it also happens in one of the friday the 13th movie mm-hmm. yeah there's a big paintball scene <laughs> <laughs> must have been the new thing very popular <laughs> one of her assailants gives her a ride into town to apologize i already know i'm going to be mad at this movie because because Jill should walk around the whole rest of the time with a perfectly round bruise on her face. <laughs> just right smack in the middle of the forehead. But I'm sure she won't. Boo. I demand realism. <laughs> so this guy drops her off and he asks for a date. She declines saying she's engaged. And he comes back with, well, how about some meaningless sex? <laughs> <laughs> nice try. These are the options. At the sheriff's station, Jill tries to tell the law about what's going on, but this guy is not interested in doing his job at all. Okay. This man. (laughs) (laughs) He really wants to play his softball game, and this crime is really crapping his style. (laughs) He doesn't like her dad, and he makes it really obvious that he doesn't care what's happening to him, even though he's missing. Yep. (sighs) This scene is just so weird. Like, who wrote this? There's a weird uh, moment where he's telling him about what happened and he mouths something like he's mocking her, I but you can't tell what tell he's saying. No, I couldn't tell if he was actually supposed to be mouthing something silently or if they just didn't record like, the dialogue. Yeah, and- or it was bad editing. <laughs> yeah. There was so, it made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit later, she convinces him to check out the crime scene and he sar- sarcastically says, Marvelous. Wonderful. <laughs> I think I love it. <laughs> and then the camera zooms in on this wooden sign with this little cowboy holding two pistols. <laughs> and it says, another day shot to hell. Yep. Oh, man. This was the era of, like, office comedy decor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when they arrive at her house, everything is in order now. There's no paint, no brick, no dummy. The sheriff is visibly annoyed. He tells her, don't call us, we'll call you. (laughs) And he leaves thinking he can still make his softball game. (laughs) Uh, Your tax dollars at work, folks. (laughs) I thought it was very funny that the sheriff just put on his official jacket and hat over his softball uniform. Uh Like when they get to her house, he gets out. And I was like, what is this guy wearing? And so I realized, oh, he's wearing those little pants. Odd look. Yeah, he does whatever he wants. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, Merv is in a little hobbit hold trying to feed cook <laughs> <laughs> to feed cookies to another faceless woman who is bound to a chair. See, this has got to be the same lady from the bank, right? Yeah. They just had one extra lady, and they yeah. were like, don't show her face. <laughs> <laughs> we can use her for all sorts of things. <laughs> oh, I already know another point where we see her. I bet you, I bet you, when we get there. <laughs> okay. Uh, then he goes to church to cry at the altar and pray for his parents. This is, like, so dramatic and overwrought. <laughs> This tiny Tim in a full clown suit sobbing on his knees at church. This is camp. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Homer describes it, right? He says, oh, like when a clown cries in the episode with John Waters. And he's like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so Gary interrupts Jill while she's unpacking in her room, uh, also known as the headquarters to the Robin Williams fan club, based this on her poster. Has- yeah, why so many? There were at least two Robin Williams posters, and they didn't even look like posters. They looked like hand-drawn sketches, <laughs> lovingly recreated from the covers of magazines. It was very strange and very, like, um, prominent. That's a nice little character note. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know much about Jill. No. But she's a college girl who loves Robin Williams. She sure does. Oh, and she loves Garfield. I saw at least two Garfield (laughs) comics pasted up. So she's a comedy fan. (laughs) Uh, She tells Gary she's worried about her parents since they still haven't turned up, even though they knew she was coming. He tells her they probably just left town for a couple days until the heat dies down. Yeah, sure. What? (laughs) Okay, Gary. Uh, he says he'll take care of her. He even cleaned up the mess from the vandalism for her. Oh, Awful. so that's why the sheriff uh, had to come over for nothing. <laughs> yep. Since there's nothing else going on, they decide to go for a <laughs> little walk. <laughs> they go to their childhood treehouse and climb up the ladder. Jill's high pony, when they go up the ladder, Gary goes first and she follows. That thing is definitely tickling the crotch of his Lee jeans. (laughs) She wears it so high. (laughs) Here they have a very idiotic conversation (laughs) about who deserves credit for the treehouse. Oh, my gosh. Their writing was so bad. Who would say this? They're like. Well, who found the tree? Well, who got the lumber? Well, who got the nails? Well, who got the hammer? <laughs> oh, well, who God. forgot to put the roof on? Oh, my gosh. Okay, we'll sell it and split it 50-50. <laughs> and Gary also brings up the time Jill's dad walked in on him, so we know they do have some sort of a history. Doing it in a treehouse is, like, very smart because <laughs> somebody would have to come up the ladder. And you would, you should know they were coming, but yeah. I guess Gary and Jill were just too into it. <laughs> they do some reminiscing, and Gary tells Jill about what happened to his and Merv's parents. They were murdered, and the crime is still unsolved. He says Merv hasn't been the same since then. After that, they go chasing each other through the wildflowers. <laughs> This is such a tonal shift. Yeah. Jill has to tell Gary she has a boyfriend now, and he's not happy about it. No, he's like, I knew when you left that this would happen. It's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fine, though. Yeah. That night, Jill takes a nude shower and confirmed big, nice boobs. <laughs> While she's in there, the unseen assailant is in the basement screwing with the hot water regulator and he scalds her. I thought this part was funny because she didn't just get burned and hop out. The water turned scalding and she just went, ah, like flattened herself up against the door, which I think is what pretty much any of us would do. Because when something like that happens unexpectedly, you always panic and do some dumb shit first. I felt like this was the most realistic scene in the movie and had maybe wonder, like, did they really turn the water (laughs) off on her? Yeah, she flattened herself against the door instead of just, like, turning it off or whatever. Yeah. So, like, she jumps out of there, and that's the end of her shower. She gets out and goes downstairs in the shortest rope ever (laughs) manufactured. What's the point, even, just to cover? Like, if you're sitting down, your crack is going to be on the kitchen chair. Yeah. Uh, She goes down to make some coffee. 
And while she's in the kitchen, Mervo comes in the front door, still in full clown costume. This bitch does not know how to lock a door, never has, never will. It's just not a thing she does. Yeah, you hear they don't lock their doors in small towns, but uh, apparently they also don't knock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he walks in and says, I'm here. Like, <laughs> like she was expecting him. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, oh, Mervo, I'm so glad to see you. And I was like, that's weird. And he thought that was weird, too. He was like, you're glad to see me? <laughs> Nobody's ever glad to see me. <laughs> yeah, he tells her to make it herself at home while he yeah. makes her coffee. It's like, uh, literally is my home. That's her house. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make the coffee. <laughs> so he makes some coffee, does some vamping, gives the dramatic one-man monologue, and then leaves with a flourish. <laughs> I cannot get enough of the weird and off-putting choices he's making for this character. <laughs> like, seriously deranged, but also so charismatic. Like, every time he comes in doing this weird shit, I'm just like, yes, drawn to it. <laughs> and giggling is a very funny, too. Like, when he goes, ta-ta, <laughs> and leaves yeah. the room, like, what? <laughs> yeah. So after he's gone, Jill is chilling in her room without a care in the world when she hears a squealing sound from outside. She looks out the window to see someone sitting on an old swing set in the dark, swinging back and forth while the squeaky joints scream. This faceless person gotta be the lady from the bank <laughs> and <laughs> the lady from the hobbit hole. <laughs> When she tries to call the sheriff for help, surprise, surprise, he is not interested. This time he has a poker game to get to. I cannot believe this asshole is complaining. He is on the clock. I thought that's a lot of activities for one day. <laughs> yeah. Like you already played softball and now you're going to go yeah. play poker. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I've been uh, in the pandemic too long because I was like, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot. <laughs> This guy's got a pack schedule, and he's doing it all while he's supposed to be answering the phone. <laughs> Local elections are important, everyone. This is why he, this guy was definitely voted in. Yeah. This is what he does. He begrudgingly agrees to come take a look at Jill's house. Jill hangs up the phone. He tells her, don't answer the door to anybody until it's me. And she's like, okay. So she hangs up the phone, and it rings immediately. It's her boyfriend, Scott. While Jill tells him what's been going on, we can hear the rhythmic squeak of the intruder on the swings until we don't hear it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the doorbell rings. Jill panics, but it's just the sheriff and it's Merv again. Yeah. The sheriff has apprehended him. Merv said he was just protecting Jill so nobody would hurt her. But that didn't look like him. This scene cheated. Yeah. Because unless Merv was wearing a wig, that was not him on the swing. It looked like a blonde lady. Totally different. Yeah. <laughs> but besides that, I thought this part was actually kind of scary. Like, the shrieking sound the swings made was really uncomfortable. And the tension building was great because you know it's going to stop. So, like, when is it going to stop? And then what's going to happen? I guess, comparing it to the rest of the movie. <laughs> I thought it was scary. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just needed to take a Xanax. I was too keyed up. <laughs> so the sheriff asks what Jill wants him to do with Merv, and they just send Merv on home. But they should have let him stay, because that night, while she's asleep, the anonymous assailant breaks into her room, chloroforms her, binds her wrists and ankles, and rips her robe open. Movie, no. We don't want to see them like this. <laughs> and takes Polaroids of her nude body. I hated this scene. I know I did too. It was really gross. Yeah. So the next morning she's back in her robe and untied like nothing ever happened. Like she's completely unaware. So don't go to sleep. <laughs> because anything could happen. But uh, so she wakes up and a man is climbing on top of her. She pushes him off to the floor. It's her college boyfriend, Scott. Uh, Peter Krause, looking like a minor James Spader character. Mm -hmm. She says she's so pleased to see him. He says, what would you do if you weren't? Spread tuna fish all over me and throw me out the window to a starving cat? What? 
Real clever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. I see the attraction. She does love comedy. <laughs> and clearly, he's the class clown. <laughs> so, again, she's very easily distracted from the case of Jill's missing parents. <laughs> She does a little innuendo talk with Scott, and he goes, I'm going to put it to you this way. It's not that I want my innocence back. Just the experience of losing it again would be kind of nice. (laughs) Corey, will you please tell me what this means? (laughs) He's saying he's not a virgin, but if he makes love to her, it'll be like losing it all over again, I think. (laughs) But what is... I don't know. I thought this whole conversation was so dumb and unsexy. I hated it. I, I was just like, is that anal on her? Anal on him? <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? I didn't go there, but now that you say it, yes, <laughs> that's what he meant. <laughs> He's going to have to take his jeans off for that. <laughs> I was so confused. And I keep thinking about it and really trying to parse it out. Like, there's got to be something I'm missing. But I don't think I'm missing anything. I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> that whole scene was really dumb. They're like, she's holding her little teddy bear and like pushing yeah. him away. I don't know. I didn't like it. He would like say something flirty to her and she'd be like, oh, really? And like hit him with a pillow. <laughs> like that like joking, like aggressive. It was weird. Yeah. It was weird. So, but they're, they love it. They're all fucking keyed up. They bounce downstairs to get naked in her front room, a perfectly reasonable place for a nooner when you don't know where your parents are. (laughs) When they're coming back, they could be coming through that door at any minute. But sure, take it all off in the front room. Yeah. While they caress each other's hot bods, Gary watches them through a window and he is in distress. (laughs) I'm going to say Gary and Mervo need some counseling, both family and one-on-one sessions. For sure. They are unwell. Mm-hmm. Jill and Scott are interrupted by a phone call from Jill's friend, Sarah. Scott decides he's going to head into town for beers and give the sheriff a piece of his mind. He's like, I like to drink beers after I work out. And this is the part where I got really confused because he kept his jeans on. And I was like, is he saying they fucked? Yeah, they didn't but do anything. They didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of did. Like, it, they got halfway undressed. But maybe this is why his conversation around sex is so confusing because he's never actually done it or had sex (laughs) or knows what he's doing maybe maybe think that's all there is (laughs) need a beer i can base yep get me a beer that was great so he takes off and jill talks to sarah on the phone while he's getting in the car, Scott spots an unidentifiable figure running through a field by the barn outside Jill's house and decides to check it out. When I see things like this, I always wonder what it must feel like to be a 20-something white man in good shape with all that confidence. <laughs> Just be like, what was that? That was weird. I'm going to go look. Yeah. No. I don't know, but I would not go towards the anonymous intruder wearing pantyhose over his face. No, probably not a good idea. But I mean, what are your options here? Call the sheriff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he already knows the sheriff's, sheriff's not doing shit, so. Yeah. <laughs> so Scott makes his way to the barn, but when he opens the door to investigate, he gets bonked right in the face with a baseball bat. The unknown killer pulls his body into the barn. While inside, Jill practices ballet, and the camera zooms all up into her areas. <laughs> Which areas? Uh, Her nether regions. (laughs) (laughs) They really did. (laughs) It was like a panty cam. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So once again, Gary is on the scene. Does he have a job? Apparently not. (laughs) He says he noticed the strange car in her driveway and had to come check it out. No, seriously, get a job. (laughs) They sit and have coffee so she can tell him about Scott. While they're chatting, Merv is caught looking through Jill's windows again. Merv has a job. (laughs) Clown. But he clearly has a lot of downtime. Yeah. There's only so many eight-year-olds having birthday parties in this town with one bank. (laughs) (laughs) Gary drags him inside and demands an apology. 
Instead, Merv does another very dramatic soliloquy. This guy is a true showman. <laughs> Jill's friend Sarah shows up as Merv and Gary are leaving. They have a little like funny interaction on the way out the door. She's like, oh, costume party. And he's like, oh, but a dream. To, like <laughs> some weird shit. And then he's like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> You just have to see it. It's so hard to describe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Jill and Sarah have some girl talk about Scott, who has now been missing for hours. Not that anybody is super concerned about it. They're talking more about which muscles are in the right places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, she's like, oh, all his muscles are showing in that picture, except for one. But the dick is not a muscle so which one is it it's his it's his calves we know that yeah <clears throat> sarah has to leave for work and when she does the pantyhose killer approaches her as she's trying to get into her car he chases her with a bow and arrow and this idiot runs straight into the barn where she's shot with an arrow strung upside down from her ankles and her throat is slit yeah i really just like this scene as well uh, yep same thing least my least favorite thing about this movie is the way like it's really sleazy in a bad way like yeah. you guys know we don't mind some nice sex scenes yeah and nudity but it's yeah. just like really gross and leering and didn't care for it i don't even mind leering it's just violent um yeah they, in, co in combination with that yeah, yeah like they rip her top open too and it's like for really no other reason other than to get her tits out yeah and like okay fine get some tits out but in in combination with what we've already seen happen in that scene while she was sleeping it was just like ugh. yeah really gross okay so for the second night in the row jill is chloroformed <laughs> <laughs> poor girl <laughs> this time her assailant carries her out of the house into the barn he lies her down on the ground in front of her boyfriend, Scott, who is still alive, but hanging upside down. I know this man has a terrible headache by now. <laughs> yeah. The mass killer rubs Jill's body while Scott thrashes around. In the distance, a police siren is approaching, so the killer takes Jill back into the house real quick. Do you want to talk about this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It is extremely obvious who the killer is, even though they're trying to pretend like we don't know who the killer is. Yeah, even be I feel like from the beginning, it's been very obvious who the killer is. <laughs> yeah, like Merv is a red herring that isn't red at all. No. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's he a has, creepy dude, but... He has a completely different body type than the yeah. man I see in the stocking. Yes, and <laughs> nothing about him says killer. No. Other than that he's he's a strange fellow. Yeah. Like, that's literally it. However, everything about Gary says killer, <laughs> including the fact that we can clearly see he's the fucking killer. <laughs> yeah. That's the biggest hint is his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once we saw his face, I began to really put it together. <laughs> First, I was confused because his nose was squished a little bit behind the pantyhose. But then I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. He's like supposedly disguised, but it's him. You can see it's him. Mm -hmm. So the sheriff arrives and he does a quick peek on the perimeter. Doesn't see anything. Well, Jill's like asleep, passed out yeah. on the couch and he leaves. Um, while she's passed out on the couch, Scott's throat is cut and his blood is drained into a bucket. We see a quick scene of Merv at his home looking at a photo of his very good friend. How do you say this? Bu Beulah. Beulah. Um, who is a pig <laughs> who yep. has also been hung upside down and gutted. That's life on a farm, baby. I know. It's, it's sad, but it's life. It is sad. Um, I've... I, I didn't get really get why they tried to, like, throw this in. So you would a, think, oh, he's getting revenge and he must be the killer because the people are getting also killed this way. I guess. <laughs> but it's just so obvious. We just saw fucking Gary. Yeah. When Jill wakes up, she goes into the kitchen and opens her fridge in this very weird scene. 
Yeah. This bucket of blood comes flying out of the fridge in a way like it was being pulled on a rope or something. Yeah. I was like, is this now a paranormal movie? No, I think that there really was a string. (laughs) But what were we supposed to think happened? Like it just fell out? Yeah, I think so. It was so odd. I know. (laughs) While she's thrashing around in it on the linoleum, Gary runs in and collects her in his arms to comfort her. It looks like they pretty much only had a bucket of blood and the big can of Hawaiian punch in the fridge at Jill's mom's house. Could get confusing. (laughs) Uh, Gary says he's going to stay and take care of her. This amounts to putting her in the shower, taking off her top, and soaping Mm -mm. her titties for much longer than necessary. (laughs) Another clue. Another gross thing, too. Yeah. He puts poor, wet, naked Jill on her mom's couch. It gets... I I almost barfed at this part yeah like the thought of my wet skin on that velour couch <laughs> is fucking grossed me out so bad when i saw it like huh. yeah it gets worse though well uh he does some mouse stuff to her boobs non-consensually like, non-consensual uh he puts an itchy wool blanket on top of her wet body making no. it even worse <laughs> no and then he kind of like goes and sits down for a minute to try to mm-hmm. calm down, but he can't calm down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes off his clothes and climbs on top of her. Terrible. Jill wakes up and understandably freaks out. Gary is like, but I love you. Boo. And Jill has to explain to him why that doesn't mean he can assault her. No. And then we have, I want to talk about the score. Yep. <laughs> Tinder music plays because uh, <laughs> apparently this is a very sad and touchy moment between them. And she has to tell him that he can't rape her. But she understands why he would try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Movie. No. <laughs> Shame on you again, movie. Yeah. I really hated the score. I don't know why. It just was really annoying to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I And I saw that this guy went on to uh, win some Emmys. Congrats to him. Oh, wow. <laughs> but... It was really annoying. And then there were a couple points in the movie where she, Jill turns on the radio and instead of like normal music, it's just like more of the score. Like that's yeah. something that everyone was listening to. <laughs> that's what you listen to. That's what you do your uh, lingerie ballet dancing to. Mm-hmm. That's all there is. So Gary leaves um, probably undeterred. <laughs> <laughs> We join Mervo at his vanity mirror where he's removing his makeup and talking to himself. Been there, Merv. <laughs> he goes over to Jill's house to talk to her. Jill cannot get a moment's peace from these two. What was he doing while she was at school? I guess be- befriending pigs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Merv drags Jill out of her house, telling her there are things she must see. He takes her to the office on his family property. She reads a letter to Gary from their mother apologizing for things ending this way. Merv tells her their parents weren't murdered, that Gary cut their bodies down after they killed themselves and staged it as the murder so people would feel sorry for them. Jill also finds the nude Polaroids that were taken of her while she was asleep. This is not good. Gary arrives And Merv is scared, so he grabs Jill and covers her mouth. Gary comes in, but still Jill doesn't get it, and she fights away from Merv. The brothers struggle, and Jill shoots Merv. Girl. Sad. sad. Yeah. Gary is very understanding about it. (laughs) He tells, she's like, I didn't mean to kill him. And he's like, that's fine. It's perfect. (laughs) We just have each other. No Scott, no parents. She escapes, but back at her house, the phone lines are cut. He chases her into the barn where she finds the dead bodies of her parents, Scott and Sarah, all hanging upside down. Um, Their throats are all cut, but it looks like they're all breathing, so maybe they're okay. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Gary tells us his reasons why, and honestly, we have heard it all before. Jill left, blah, blah, blah. His parents lost the farm, blah, blah, blah. Merv's pet pig died, and he got extra weird and started full-time clowning, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Jill came back and has a boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. 
She tries to trick him into letting down his guard, and it doesn't work. But she does manage to get a mini scythe through his forearm. Gary chases her through the fields, around their homes, and the movie dubs her screaming all loud when she's clearly not screaming at all. (laughs) (laughs) Gary really flips his lid. He's, like, talking to himself and chasing her around. He goes on a diatribe comparing pigs and people. Turns out people are the ones who are dirty and disgusting. Uh, The animals from Animal Farm had it right all along. They sure did. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) After they engage in a violent, non-sexual roll in the hay, Gary drags Jill back to the barn where the bodies of her loved ones are hanging. He ties her up and lifts the knife to her neck, but she's saved at the last minute when Gary is shot by Merv, who is not dead. Yay! All right. He unties her and they leave the barn. The tender music plays again and we see Gary's bleeding body lying in the hay. He is also very obviously breathing. (laughs) So it's not a surprise when his eyes pop open. Sequel! (laughs) That's what they were hoping. Uh, Cue Marvelous Mervo song. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know the Marvelous Mervo song? Did you write that one down? No, I just know Marvelous Mervo. I know it sounded like Eleanor Rigby. That's what the tune of it sounded like. And I said, Sarah, you can't sing that. You're going to owe Paul McCartney money. Dang, he's probably going to get us. I know. He's going to own this podcast. He can have 100% of the profits. Corey, no, we have to go through arbitration. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what do you think? Well, I would say this is the worst movie we have watched for the pod, in my opinion. No, In my opinion. I hated the script. It was horrible. Most of the acting was really bad, except for Tiny Tam. Mm -hmm. I, I also thought the direction was bad, but I actually liked the cinematography by Ito, which was like another name for the director. I thought it, it besides like the the leering part of it, mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought the cinematography was the strongest element. <laughs> I thought Tiny Tim was the strongest element. Yeah, but his performance is wasted in this movie. That's why I wanted to know. <laughs> Do you like if you could put this character in a different <laughs> horror film? Uh-huh. What would it be? What would be the plot? Uh, a horror <laughs> film? Or what? Uh, yeah, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think that it would be good if instead of uh, Tyler Durden in Fight Club, it was Marvelous Mervo. Okay. And it's all the same, except for Mervo is real. <laughs> <laughs> but, is, it, is it still fighting or is it clouding? <laughs> Um, I think it's still fighting, but what I would like is that everybody else thinks that Mervo is imaginary, but you just don't ever actually see him, and they just think that the narrator's talking about this weird guy that he knows, and they're like, okay, he's obviously fake, this guy's losing his mind, but actually, he know he knows Mervo, and he's uh wanting him to get involved in Project Mayhem. <laughs> I guess it, they would have to do some different stuff because Mervo was not a mean-natured clown. Mm-hmm. I just would like him to be a, an imaginary friend that is actually not imaginary. Like a reverse Harvey. Okay. What about you? <laughs> I would like to see him uh, kind of like a character study in the style of, like, say, Christmas Evil. Sure. So my my plot is uh, we see him as a child, mm-hmm. and he's at a birthday party. And he's very poor, so he's amazed that they are able to hire this magician and there's – or a clown. Let's say a clown slash magician. Mm-hmm. And there's cake and all this stuff. So he's having a great time until he gets bullied. And then the clown kind of overhears this. And later he comes up to him and he breaks character and he tells him, like, don't worry about those assholes. People like that don't deserve to live. And he gives him, like, a little one of those squirty flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so time passes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And now Merv is in high school and his family is very poor, like I said. And so he starts clowning on the side mm-hmm. to make some money. And he's having a good time with it, but he's still getting picked on. And there's an incident with some bullies and he bites back and he accidentally kills the main bully. Oh, no. <laughs> he like bonks his head on a rock or something. No. <laughs> And so the other guys leave. Merv is terrified. And so he puts his body in his clown trunk and drags him away. And when he gets home, the police are there and he's caught. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Mervo has to go to an asylum and it's not a great place. Um, the doctor's not very helpful. Some of the orderlies are mean, but there's like one nice lady. And, or a nurse or something. And she's our final girl. And uh, so he was fine. He actually wasn't like crazy or anything when he came in. But the system fails him. Sure. And uh, that one nice nurse, she like knows he's into clowning and brings him his face paints and stuff. And he has his little Marvelous Mervo banner up. And it's his birthday one year. Let's say he's now Tiny Tim age. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and they bring him a cake, and he's able to squirrel away the knife that was used to cut the cake. And that night, he goes, and he gets his revenge on the doctors, on the orderlies. And then, you know, all these cool kills, clown-related kills. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and... Then it's between him and the nice nurse. And she tells him, like, Mervo, you can just walk out. And he says, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And then they fight. They struggle. She kills him. And it's sad. That is sad. Wow. Oh, and she, he also has a ukulele that he plays. Oh, yeah, the whole of course. Movie. <laughs> I, I mean, that sounds pretty good. Um, I'd like to know, like... Clown-based kills. What are we talking about? Are we like acid in the little flower? Um, that would be great. I don't know how we would get the acid. It doesn't really matter. I just thought of this on the shower this morning. So, which is, I think, less time than they spent coming up with this script. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was riveted through that whole thing. Maybe some big shoes. Yep. Um involved in the kill somehow like shoe down the throat oh yeah that's a good one big shoe yeah um like you pull the handkerchief out of his out of his cuff of his shirt and you just keep pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and then on the end is a knife and he stabs you with it yeah and then he (laughs) pulls out your intestines the same way yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. TM. Okay. TM, TM. (laughs) You can't have this one, Paul McCartney. (laughs) But Uh, we will have you on the soundtrack. Yeah, soundtrack (laughs) by Paul McCartney. Jason says balloon animals with the intestines. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good one. That is a good one. Okay. I think we're getting somewhere. And I misunderstood the question, clearly. (laughs) It's okay. I didn't have much until my shower this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I just like thinking of him as like an imaginary friend. I don't really, ha- mm-hmm. I didn't really come up with a whole plot though. That was good. Um. Well, let's talk about Tiny Tim a little bit. Okay. Tell me about him. His his performance in this movie I thought was really fun. Um. It was not completely unlike the public character that he already portrayed um so a lot of stuff that he does in the movie is stuff that he just kind of did like just little bits that he did i have a question yeah did he like cloud was that part of his persona or was that just for this film for some reason well this is a sad thing um at this point in the 80s he was um kind of just taking any job that he could get and he was reduced to like working with the circus. So this costume that he's wearing is his costume from 
the circus. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I have seen footage of him at the circus wearing this exact costume. Like, the name that's on the back of the costume is the company that he was working for. Mm. Um, by the 80s, he was really culturally reduced to just tiptoe through the tulips. And, like, that's kind of all anybody knows now. Yeah. But I don't think we really realize what a very big star he was in the late 60s. When he showed up on the scene in Greenwich Village, um, during this major counterculture shift, he freaked out all the kids that were freaking out polite society. <laughs> they were like, whoa, this guy is a trip. Um, he had a top 10 record. He, uh, not only was he a frequent guest on The Tonight Show, his first wedding was held on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show in 1969. And for a minute, it was in the Guinness Book as the second most watched television broadcast after the moon landing. Hmm. Something 40 plus million uh, people watched him get married. That is surprising. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah. He was on Laughing. He did shows with Bing Crosby. He was friends with Bob Dylan and Wavy Gravy. Um, he kept company with John Lennon. John Lennon was really interested in meeting him and, and spending time with him. He was a big deal. It's just celebrity worked so different back then. Like now there are way more celebrities because there are way more ways to be a celebrity. Mm -hmm. Then, I mean, getting on The Tonight Show was like the biggest fucking deal. Now, I mean, who cares, right? Um, but he grew up abused and neglected, um, obsessed with music history and learning to play multiple instruments to kind of like take himself out of his situation his sexual ambiguity he was assaulted on the street several times as a sissy um his gender ambiguity his racial ambiguity he was half jewish and half arab um in a time that was not easy to be either of those things uh -huh. um his very odd personality all points in the cons column at that time and he still did all that I know people think his act is creepy. Um, the little demon in Insidious likes to dance to tiptoe through the tulips. <laughs> like, I get it. But to be that guy in that time, like, singing this kind of turn-of-the-century, like, old-timey music, like, it takes a tremendous force of will to become a star like he was against those odds. Mm -hmm. This was not someone who was going to have an average life no matter what. Like, this was just all that he did. When you learn more about him and kind of, like, see more clips of him and his personality, you're kind of like, okay, um, like, you don't want to, like, diagnose anybody, right? But you're mm -hmm. like, this is, like, when you learn more about him, like, he never really lived with his wives. He did not like that. He wanted to live by himself, so he would have two homes. Um, he was, like, kind and friendly to everybody. Like, you know, he was a performer, but he did not like children just felt that the way that they thought and like the way that they were was like weird <laughs> <laughs> just like the more that you learn about him and his his personality and his like eccentricities mm -hmm. um you're like okay there kind of was not another option he was only ever going to be tiny tim <laughs> you know yeah um all these things about him combined with the seismic cultural shift of the late 60s, it almost made him an inevitability. He took all the things about him that made him different or an outcast and leveraged them into celebrity. Like, yes, that weird guy that we know was who he was. But instead of trying to change his whole deal, which like how yeah. <laughs> you can't change that you look like this guy. He turned it up, played this character, and he was a huge success. <laughs> all he ever wanted to do was entertain, be the eternal troubadour, and that's all he ever did. He never stopped, even throughout the rest of his lifetime when he struggled greatly. I mean, working in the circus, you know, playing rooms with just a couple people, like... Having to deal with children who he doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Very difficult. He still only did what he loved to do. His moment was brief, but he reached out and grabbed it when he saw it. He died in 1996, strumming his ukulele on stage. Oh. Yep. Singing Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Wow. Yeah. He, he had already had a heart attack on stage. 
and was told you need to stop and he was like oh, okay and then wasn't gonna stop could not stop yeah. he thought of himself as a, a like a wandering historian like um like a troubadour uh-huh <laughs> that's what he referred to himself as he had an uh, encyclopedic knowledge of music history like in particular like early recorded american music mm-hmm. to the point where like musicologists would seek him out like to ask him questions and stuff because his the vast vast amount of knowledge that he had he was obsessed mm. like i sent you a clip i don't know if you got a chance to watch it where he was with bing crosby and he's like oh mr crosby i've seen all your movies and i have all your records and i've probably know things that you've already forgotten and <laughs> So Bing is like, oh, you do, huh? Well, that's real nice. Like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, well, how about this? What song is, what song, what movie is this from? And he'll like sing a little song. Oh, I'm very sorry. I don't want to boast, but I know exactly what that song is from. It's from your very first movie. It was in this and this year. And like, and just over and over again, he knew so much. And it's just all he loved. It was all he ever did. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting, like, definitely a weird dude like that part is very true never had a music case for his uh ukulele and sheet music he would carry a shopping bag like strange dude but i just think it's really cool that he just did what he loved to do yes i feel like we should dedicate this episode to tiny tim for sure (laughs) for sure i don't know i always have been like I like I like that guy. I I watching him it's a joyful experience for me. I just think it's it's funny and it's it's kitschy and it's campy and he's having fun and the people that are around him are having fun. I really like it. Always have. Anyways, that's Tiny Tim. There's a documentary about him that's really good. It's called Tiny Tim King for a Day. If uh if you want to see it and this movie, Blood Harvest, right now is on Tubi. It is. If you want to see this performance that we're talking about. I think it's a it's a bad movie, but it's worth watching to see to see him do this. It's I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some funny moments with him. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Especially like watching it a second time and not having to like pay such close attention to the plot like really getting to see the jokes not having to wonder who the killer is (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) not having to burn all the brain cells trying to solve that mystery (laughs) it's just like more fun to you'll catch more little jokes and stuff that he's doing so it was fun but i I think go ahead i feel like you're gonna be torn on rating this (laughs) i am not actually i was just gonna say like i think that should like kind of bring us to our rating um, this is a four for me. Like okay. it is a terrible movie, but it would be lower without Tiny Tim. Yes, I'm giving it a two. Yeah, I, it was just really gross. I thought, and Tiny Tim is the best part. Tiny Tim and the cinematography are the only elements I enjoyed at all. Yeah, and yeah, I have to go with the two. I know it can get worse, so I'm not giving it a one. Yeah. <laughs> you think that this is worse than Hanging Heart? Absolutely. What? I gave Hanging Heart a five, if you recall. No. That movie is very fun to watch. But this movie is not. <laughs> yeah. And that I movie mean, does have some gross parts as well, but this is more. This is like throughout. Yeah. Yeah hate a sexual assault in these movies it's like <laughs> why are we doing yeah, a this? sexual assault that is tried to fi- uh like they're trying to film it in a way that's like uh arousing i feel like titillating yeah, yeah. for sure but tiny tim yeah two two <laughs> out of ten for me yeah four for me <laughs> what's our next movie so I picked, it was hard for me to pick because I just want to watch all the movies. So I went with one I hadn't seen that I've been wanting to see, and that is Intruder from 1989. Does not have Dennis Quaid in it. No, that is the Intruder. 
I'm going to watch The Intruder. You watch Intruder, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you heard of this this movie? Uh, n- no. I just know it. it's like 1989, so the end of the decade, and it takes place like in a grocery store mm-hmm. with a killer. So that sounds fun to me. I'm just thinking really hard because when you said what the movie was going to be, I went and looked it up and I went, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of that. But now I'm like, maybe I didn't. Hmm. I don't know. Can't remember. Grocery store. That's a fun new setting, though. I think so. We've done a few farms. I know. Farms. (laughs) So much hay. (laughs) Please. Enough. Let's move it indoors. Yeah. Take me to the toaster strudels (laughs) and let's have some mayhem yeah there's a lot of opportunity for interesting kills in a grocery store Mm -hmm. yikes i think i'm going to be distracted by like the products (laughs) i always am i like to look at the old labels yeah and i'll be like 79 cents for bread (laughs) or whatever yeah i'm i'm looking forward to this this will be fun yeah okay well that's it that's all we got got anything else Corey? no i just want to say i think uh intruder is on pluto tv oh cool so you can watch it for free sweet that's our favorite price (laughs) okay well all right tiptoe through the tulips marvelous mother (laughs) (laughs) see you're singing eleanor rigby (laughs) as always please make a donation to the bakersfield burrito project bako burrito project on cash app and venmo buy some rice and beans get into heaven (laughs) results not guaranteed it's the only way (laughs) okay we'll see you next time bye bye thanks for joining us on gag me with a chainsaw with your hosts Corey and sarah music by white bat audio find us on twitter at chainsaw podcast and on instagram at gag me with a chainsaw until next time unpleasant dreams Good night, ladies. Good night, ladies. Good night, ladies. It's time for us to go. Here we go.